0: Purple, get ready to roll indeed. We are back. Sorry for the uh, hiatus there. Our very dedicated listening base took a week off after the fourth, but College and Kimball is back. I'm your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Justin Nutter, Clint Wilson, and Alex Speth. You can give us a follow on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And if you go out and get there and do give us a follow, you'll see all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that account page. So we are here for any and all takes on K-State football past seasons, episodes that we've had a chance uh, to do here. Again, it's, It's middle of July, boys and girls. uh, So we're we're here for anything that you have. We are getting close to the season, but still uh, six weeks cannot move fast enough uh, to get us to the start of 2021. And uh, with that being said, we're going to take a look back now at the 2014 season, one of Snyder's best in the 2-0 era. And as we get ready to to dive into this one, we'll take a brief look back at 2013. And this was a, a team that struggled out of the gate. We we talked about it before, um, spit the bit against North Dakota State in the home opener, started 0-3 in Big 12 play, but rallied to win six out of their last seven games, including a decisive victory over Michigan in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl to finish the year eight and five. So now the table is set in 2014. And one of the big off-season stories uh, that was followed, obviously, Dan- the Daniel Sams and Jake Waters debate did and didn't resolve itself in a, in a manner of speaking. We, we still saw towards the end of last year, Waters getting snaps, but it was pretty apparent after the Oklahoma game that the coaching staff was wanting to move in the direction of Jake Waters as the full-time starter. Now, with that being said, uh, I, I think the coaching staff recognized Sam's, his twitch, his ability in the open field as a runner. They wanted to do something with him. They wanted to give him an opportunity to make plays and get the balls, uh, the ball in his hands. Uh, to that point, they end up deciding to move him to wide receiver. So that being said, I'll start off with you, Clint. We see that move happen for spring ball. What were your your thoughts on the position change? Obviously, K-State has a very reliable and what would ultimately end up being one of the most decorated wide receivers in school history in Tyler Lockett, but we see Sam's coming into the fray in the wide receiver core on, on paper. It looked like it was a pretty pretty impressive move.
1: Yeah. As long as he was going to return to quarterback for 2015, I was very fine with it. Uh, at the time, you know, we knew all about Tyler Lockett. uh, Curry Sexton had shown some things in 2013, but he hadn't quite become what he would be in 2014. And then behind him, uh, we just had Cody cook and Deontay Burton two unproven players. Uh, so Sam's coming in as our third wide receiver, I thought was going to be a pretty good uh, move for him. You know, in retrospective, um, seeing what Charles Jones and Demarcus Robinson were able to do at running back, I kind of wish he would have tried more of that position. I'm sure the risk of injury would have been higher um, if you're just taking that beating every single game. Um, But I think that was a position he probably was more suited to.
0: Very valid points there. And Nutter or Alex, I'd wanted to see either one of you two care to weigh in on the position change before we move into The 2014 season.
2: Sure, I, I mean, like Clint said, I had no problem with it, especially knowing it was kind of a short-term, quote-unquote, loss-long-term game. If you meant you kept, if it meant you kept him on the roster to, you know, move back under center the following year, I will say I was a little surprised he stuck it out as long as he did, and I don't mean that as a slight on Daniel at all. I think I just he knew he wanted to be a quarterback, and you know, good on him for giving it a shot, but. I'll just say I wasn't the least bit surprised when he just said, you know, no, I'm going to go play quarterback now somewhere else.
1: And according and, to Sam, and, he did say that, you know, he was willing to play wide receiver in that uh, there's a YouTube video out there. I posted it on my Facebook about a week ago, on my Twitter, I'm sorry, where he was willing to play receiver, but Snyder basically told him, uh, you can practice here, but really for games, we're going to have you just as our backup quarterback. We can't risk you getting hurt at receiver.
2: And yeah, I, I actually do remember that now that you may. Because yeah, that was the whole thing was like, like we don't want you getting hurt out of position, right? Wasn't that the whole argument? Okay, yeah, no, and but even so, like again, I'll just all that to be said. When he did say, "No, I'm going to go play quarterback now," it did not surprise me in the, in the least
0: and kind of comical that they didn't try to sell him more on the running back position. I mean, he, he had 152 carries the season prior. He ended up finishing in the top 10 in the big 12 and rushing. And that's with him playing, you know, probably what amounted to about six or seven games, like full games in terms of the snaps received. So kind of a surprise move that they didn't push harder on that front. And some guys have it in their head that, they want and need to be a quarterback. Uh, I, I think he would have immensely helped that 2015 team. Uh, it just sucks that we, the the staff didn't have a, a better pitch or a better contingency plan in place to try and get him to stick for that one extra season. But um, uh, I guess the the final question I'll ask, though, knowing that Jake Waters now you've essentially what you've said by moving Sam's to receiver now, regardless of of how we fans knew or thought he was going to be used at this point you said okay we are fully committed to jake waters does that break anyone's heart knowing the way that he played in 2013 and what that would do as we look into 2014 I, I it didn't really bother me and i didn't know if anybody else felt differently no i agreed with that decision <clears throat> i
3: thought it should have been jake going into 14 and you know i was kind of hoping that uh sams would maybe not just like oh you're a receiver now or you're a running back now just kind of keep him at quarterback but then just throw him out there and get the ball in his hands you know 10 times a game but obviously that didn't work but yeah
1: i think going in it should have been jake's team for that year yeah snyder and the coaching staff never shied away from bringing in a running back or fullback to run the wildcat offense if you could bring in a player who actually has some ability throwing the ball, then why not do that? But, yeah, absolutely, Jake Waters was my quarterback number one going into 2014.
3: That's where I think the it was mismanaged. You know, they say, hey, you're not changing positions for the year. You're still the backup quarterback, but you're still going to get out on the field and make some plays. You know, that that's what should have happened that, that year.
0: Yeah, and, and the – how – how Sam's feels about that, knowing the kind of production that he did have. And and I I know a lot of people want to put the blame on him for like, just straight up on his shoulders for the Oklahoma state loss where he had five turn, you know, all five turnovers, but he, he didn't, he had Tyler Lockett injured in that game. Tremaine Thompson was out for that game as well. He didn't have anybody to throw the football to. And once they got down and it was, they were forced in a predicament to throw the ball he's trying to throw into, you know, eight, eight guys dropping into coverage. And it's obviously not going to work out well for anybody when your primary options are Terrell Miller and Curry Sexton. And, and then everybody li- likes to blame him for the Baylor game, despite the fact that he rushed for 200 yards, had one of the, the best performances. And honestly, that was that effort against Baylor was probably the best effort of any of Snyder's teams in the two O era against the art Briles coach Baylor bears. Um, Despite coming up short, but uh, it's it's tough, and, and and I know though that that quarterback mentality, and you want to be the the guy, and and I, I don't begrudge anybody for leaving and going for greener pastures, but I wish that we could have kept him around for no other reason than for uh, what what we would see in 2015. And Sam's ends up leaving the program after spring, ends up going to McNeese State, and. As we move forward, we'll talk briefly here about the 2014 recruiting class, and and honestly, at this point, this is one of the better classes that Snyder and uh, the staff end up landing. It ranks 49th nationally on 24-7 and then 47th on rivals. And, and guys, when you look at it again on paper, there are a lot of big names in here, uh, namely uh, Devonta Derricotte and Terrell Klinkscale. Also looking down that list with some of the freshmen that were in that class, Dalvin Warmack, Dalton Reisner, Elijah Lee, uh, Caleb Pruitt, and uh, just a lot of guys that when – When you start projecting forward, uh, the the 2013 and 12 classes had not been that great, but you at least felt like, okay, this one we've landed some guys who could fill a couple of big needs for us right away. And and I think everybody looking at this class felt pretty positive heading not only into 14, but beyond. Uh, And and Clint, I'll I'll ask you, any other guys that jumped out uh, on this class to you?
1: Uh, a couple of Manhattan high guys that i always look for. Winston Dimmel, Terrell Johnson went the JUCO route, but uh, he eventually made it to K-State. You know, uh, For the uh, recruiting guys uh, out there, you might remember a few of the misses. Aaron Sharp, DeAndre Goolsby, Harrison Phillips, and then a guy who was in uh, JUCO school in Kansas at the time, Tyree Hill. <laughs> yeah, pretty big name there.
3: And Houston kid that, Committed to us and then decommitted to go to Cal. Is that correct?
1: Aaron Sharp. Yeah. Uh, he went to UCLA. I don't know if he even made it to UCLA, but that's who he committed to. Yeah, yeah. I just remember his mom on the Go Paracat message boards. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, he was, uh, and you look at this group. I was going to say he you was look a, at this group, too. Wasn't he? Sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, Danzel McDaniel, also a part of this class. K-State does have um, a need at defensive back after losing Kip Daly and Dorian Roberts. So you're looking to fill a void there. You you go the Juco route and they end up hitting on Danzel. Uh, Also going down that list, Justin Hughes, Kendall Adams, who would be a good contributor a little bit later on, Dominic Heath, this this actually looks to be, again, a pretty solid group. And we do see some of these guys start to make contributions this season and some of the younger, the freshmen in this class, we start seeing in 2015. So it ends up being a pretty good group, but um, things don't really unfold the way some of those Juco guys, those big name Juco guys uh, anticipated. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we dive deeper into this episode. So table is set. Now uh, we've got a solid class that has come in. We're looking ahead to the 2014 season and, you know, on, on again, I'll look here on paper, Six starters back offensively, six back defensively. Uh, we know we're pretty well set on the offensive side. We know what the game plan is going to be. This is going to be Jake Waters to Tyler Lockett, Jake Waters to Tyler Lockett. Uh, and, and Alex, I'll start with you. What were your some of your big concerns going into 2014? I think really everybody was kind of looking at that running back position after losing John Huber, probably one of the more underappreciated backs in K-State history.
3: Yeah, I, thinking back on it, I don't, running back obviously, but if anything, I didn't have that many concerns just because, you know, going in, you kind of knew that Waters was going to be the guy and it was the second year in the program, so uh, just my memories, you know, obviously I probably had some concerns just like every year, but nothing glaring that I could remember. If anything, it was, you know, the old Snyder adage of, you know, getting a getting your quarterback with a year of experience. You know, usually they take a pretty big step the next year after they're um, kind of in the system. So I just remember more excitement about this season. <laughs>
0: And to that point, Clint and Justin, I'll ask you two next. uh, I think we're all uh, feeling pretty confident about what this group can do. A pretty nice schedule, the way everything sets up. Um, Did you guys load up emotionally the same way you did heading into the 2012 season? I think this one was a little bit different for me in that I, I, I had some concerns. You knew in 12 you had. You had Colin and Arthur, and you had such a senior-heavy group on defense, where you knew you could really rely on that uh, that unit. I don't know how did you guys feel? Was it the same as 2012, or did you dial it back a little, like me?
1: I definitely dialed it back a little bit. I mean, there just didn't seem like there was that huge star power uh, outside of Tyler Lockett. Um, you know, on offense in 2012 we had Colin Klein. On defense we had Arthur Brown. I mean the guys who were just really leading the units didn't quite seem to be there. I remember when the depth chart first came out uh, for the first week, uh, had Dylan Schellenberg listed as number one, uh, safety position. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the moment that I knew it's
2: like, uh, maybe, maybe there's some holes on this team. Yeah. It was hard (laughs) not to be optimistic for a lot of reasons. Alex mentioned, you know, the way the back half of 2013 went when Jake really kind of took the stranglehold of the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, we kind of ended the year on a tear. I know I missed last week, so I didn't get to talk about it. But that, like, that shellacking of Michigan was one of my favorite bowl games that I think I've ever watched. Um, so, yeah, it was hard not to be optimistic. But, I like, my expectations were nowhere near on the level where they would have been in, in 2012.
0: Justifiably so. Again, I, I think there, there were definitely some some holes to be concerned with. And you know everybody's really bullish again. Like I said, we're we're all thinking, oh man, if we can plug and play with with Derekot with Kling Scales, the defense is going to be lights out again, and maybe that does take this group to into that that upper echelon, and maybe we can talk about contending for a Big Twelve title again. So that being said, though, Cats uh, enter the season ranked 20th in the country open up with Stephen F Austin very ho-hum game uh, I know Tyler Lockett was a little nicked up going into this one because uh, you don't really uh he doesn't really make that big of an impact and I think that was kind of a surprise to everybody where we're just all kind of we're waiting you know Tyler Lockett's supposed to be the focal point of this offense, he only has one catch for nine yards. Granted, it is a touchdown, but I think uh, the coaches wanted to save him. That, that, the way that the schedule sh- shakes out, K-State uh, opens at home against Stephen F. Austin and then immediately goes on the road to play Iowa State. So I don't think anybody had any real concerns, obviously, about getting past Stephen F. Austin. Cats handle business, win 55-16. to Nothing really to take home about this game. Cats beat up on the FCS school the way that they should. Uh, Jake Waters throws for 223, has two touchdowns, does throw an INT, but the cats never have this one in doubt. They're up uh, 28 to 10 at halftime, end up cruising. don't really get any answers at, at the running back position. We see Demarcus Robinson, a four-star Wichita kid, gets some snaps at running back. We also see uh, Charles Jones. Clint, you talked about at the introduction of the Wildcat. we um, I shouldn't say the introduction, but the Charles Jones ver, uh, iteration of the Wildcat uh, was something we became very familiar with this season and very early on as well, uh, and, and nice to see some guys getting in there like uh, like Jones, Jarvis Leverett also getting some carries as well. So, Cats again, like I said, handle business 55 to 16, moving to 1 and 0, setting up the big showdown on the road against Iowa State. Now, uh, again, Iowa State totally eats the curb in their season opener. They lose by 20 to North Dakota State. Now, again, K-State fans are going to talk all the shit in the world, but, you know, <laughs> it's not like we didn't you know, have to swallow that same pill the season prior. So Iowa State drops that game 34 to 14 in their home opener. They now get ready to host Kansas State, Wildcats coming in. I think the biggest concern, at least in my mind, was the look-ahead factor, because after this game is the big showdown with Auburn. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. Anybody else really give the Iowa State game any kind of of credence. I I thought that they would find a way to handle business, but this was a little bit more stressful than anybody really anticipated.
2: I've said it before. Weird shit happens in Ames. Every single time we go there, we end up having to sweat it out. Couple that with the fact that we're playing it early. You know, we're maybe not completely gelled yet. I, for one, cannot stand when those conference games fall in the middle of the traditional non-conference part of the slate. You know when you're, like when you're playing them in week two, I can't say I've ever been a huge fan of that. Um, but no, I'll I'll never. I mean, under any circumstance, I'll never feel good about a game of names.
3: <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it being the second game of the year and kind of right before the big Auburn game, and <clears throat> it was just a pivotal you know game we really needed to win to have the energy to come into that Auburn game. So uh, yeah, it wasn't a good.
1: I don't know. It just felt like a weird situation. I have zero respect for Iowa State, so I thought it'd be just (laughs) another tune-up game and maybe a slightly better tune-up game than Stephen F. Austin. I thought this was a really fun game. I mean, it had a lot of memorable plays between all of Jake Waters uh, doing his best Daniel Sampson impersonation. Uh, Lockett had some really crazy catches in this game. Randall Evans had one of the more incredible interceptions you'll ever see where he's uh in coverage tackling a player who just caught the ball the guy kind of rolls over him Evans rips out the ball right before the guy touches his shoulder on the ground um yeah I, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of those locket catches I don't want to steal too many of the plays
0: <laughs> no you're good you're good this is uh, like you said this is there, there are a lot of catches that a lot of exceptional Tyler Lockett plays in this game that, you, that the average K-State fan probably forgot about, particularly if you go back and look at the last drive, he has a sensational catch on the boundary um, that really helps K-State. It was a little bit past midfield and the Wildcats were very much in, in the mode of, okay, well, this is the, this is the play. This is the connection. This is where we're, we're going to live and die with this, this connection here. Now, Let's, let's take a step back and look at this one as we get uh, get ready to get rolling here. K-State goes, opens up with a very crisp drive, gets on the board 7-0 with a Charles Jones touchdown run. There is no life in Jack Trice Stadium at all. Iowa State, K-State's defense is just owning the day. They immediately get the ball back cats end up going down again. They have to settle for a field goal. They get down to the ten and end up having to settle for a Jack Cantelli field goal. So even so, cats up two scores here with just we're we're not even five minutes into the game. So I think at this point we're all kind of like, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna definitely cruise. k State uh, gets the ball back a little bit later on in the first and we get another cantelli field goal. So we're feeling pretty good moving into. Uh, The end of the first quarter, but Iowa State does end up scoring uh, right at the end of the first quarter with a 17 yard touchdown pass from Sam Richardson to Jarvis West. This is this is peak Paul Rhodes Iowa State where it seemed like Iowa State would about every like two thirds of a season would find a new quarterback and then they would move away from that quarterback, you know, at the very tail end of the year. And the, and so Sam Richardson is just kind of the flavor of the week uh, for the clones right now. And this is when shit kind of starts to go sideways because K-State's offense. And I think this was the biggest concern that a lot of fans had about the, the unit was becoming a little too one dimensional, too reliant on Tyler and Jake. And to that point, we start to see three and out, three and out, three and out. And Iowa State starts taking advantage of it. And if you'll also remember Mark Mangino's offensive coordinator for the clones at this time and took him a little bit to get rolling. But then the clones really started kind of going in circles around K-State's defense. So K-State's up at the end of the first quarter, 13 to 7, and then a three and out. Cats punted away. Jarvis West takes it 82 yards for a touchdown. So all that goodwill, all the you know that 13-0 lead gone in the blink of an eye. Uh, and Iowa State's up now, 14 to 13. Cats end up giving the ball right back. Clones go right down and score again, 21 to 13. And then Alan Lazard gets another touchdown catch right at the end of the half, of the minute 36 left, where it's 28 to 13. And then all all of a sudden we're going from thinking well, cruise control to Okay, well, a Big 12 title might be out the window right now. So it's 28 to 13 and and K-State's really in in desperate need of something going into halftime. The offense, again, has just been ramming its head into a brick wall and and they they ultimately end up getting a huge break here uh, where Tyler Lockett has, Clint, as you touched on, a, a sensational catch right at the pylon. And cats (laughs) are—I'm sure there's plenty of Iowa State uh, Cyclone fans that are screaming uh, if if they're listening to this right now. They're screaming about Big 12 official conspiracies because the official fails to buzz the play because Tyler catches this like essentially bang bang leg hits pylon as he's catching ball. They didn't even look at it. K-State immediately gets down, sneaks it in to uh, to cut the lead to 28 to 20, and. I guess, how is everyone feeling at this point? It's been a very emotional first half. And are we still feeling like the Cats are going to find a way here? Uh, At this point, the way that the offense had just been sputtering after that first quarter, uh, I thought that we were kind of working on borrowed time. And that that last drive was just the clones letting their guard down. I didn't know if anybody else felt differently.
3: Well, I was uh, trying to watch slash follow the game while I was at the state fair that year. So, um, yeah. I wasn't like, I was kind of like annoyed because we were losing, but I I couldn't follow the game super close because my brother-in-law was showing pigs, so I couldn't pay attention to the game (laughs) until
0: the second half. As one does. That's some farmageddon (laughs) shit right there. Yep.
3: Was done showing his pigs, and I like kind of sat in a corner and watched the second half on my phone. So, but uh, is it the rule like if he touched the pylon before he caught it, he would have been
0: considered out of bounds? Is that correct? So he would have been like a I think the if you look at it, the he hits the pylon before I think what most would say he has control, which it should have resulted, but that's the in him
3: being out of bounds or the catch with before he had his feet down and the catch was completed it would have been considered out of bounds. Is that correct? Is that why they...
0: I don't think
1: he ever had his feet down at all. I don't think it was a catch at all. I can say that this many years later. (laughs) I thought he got his feet down, but I thought he
3: definitely hit the pylon before his feet dragged, which I think is a stupid rule. I don't think touching the pylon should make you out of bounds, especially a pylon that could have gotten knocked over earlier in the play and not even been a factor, so... But yeah,
1: probably got lucky on that one. Yeah, screw Iowa State. Yeah, uh, you know, Jake Waters. You know, heck of a veteran move, though. He really got everybody up to the line and plunged into the end zone. I mean, they I definitely can't tell was- you
2: how many times NFL college. I don't understand when you benefited from a questionable no call like that. How many times I'm screaming, get up there and run, literally anything. Yeah. And, you know, you sit there and you screw around and you give them time to get another look on the Tron or whatever. And then the challenge flag gets thrown. So, yeah, I mean, you really can't understate how big of a deal that was that Jake said, no, get up and just snap the ball. Doesn't matter what we do. Just snap the ball.
0: a Very, very heady move.
3: Justin, I like the strategy of even when it's not that questionable, you still go up and run a play and the other team kind of freaks out and they call a timeout and then look (laughs) kind of kind of make them waste their time out.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. No. (laughs) And, uh, Jeff, to answer your original question, like, I don't know if the score right before half made me feel any better about it. Like things had just gone, like you said, you know, things had just gone sideways after kind of clawing out to a 13 point lead. It evaporated basically in the blink of an eye. Not only that it went, it turned into a 15 point deficit. Like nothing was going in our favor. So like, obviously I'm not going to say we're out of it. It's a one possession game at halftime, but I definitely didn't feel good at halftime.
0: Yeah, that that was the camp that I was in, and I was I was furious because again, you left some points on the field, having to settle for those two field goals early on after you after you went down and just rammed it down their throat on that first drive. So, a little frustrated on that front, but still very much a game, as you said, and the defense does produce a couple stops though once the the second half gets rolling they turn the clones over on downs on their first possession but then appropriately just go three and out right (laughs) right now in the next possession uh they stop iowa state again and then k-state puts together a very lengthy drive they go 66 yards and 16 plays get all the way uh down to the iowa state 31 and then jake gets stuffed for a no gain on a fourth and one so cats turn it over then this then comes the aforementioned randall evans interception which again this is one of those i'm not going to say it's a questionable call one way or the other there's really no way that you can tell like it's it's just two dudes both going for ball rolling over each other you just have no idea who was in possession when knees hit the ground i mean there there was no way to call it uh one way or the other and i think at the end of the day you look at that you know at randall evans has the ball and I don't know how you don't call that an interception. So that seems to spark a little bit of life, and and it gives K-State a short field, too. They go 54 yards, get a touchdown, cut it to 28 to 26, so they miss on the two. So now it's up to the defense, and they force Iowa State to punt once again. And then we see Jake Waters put together a very memorable drive. Again, Tyler Lockett with a terrific catch on the boundary. Uh, Excuse me ended up resulting in a 23 yard gain to get K-State into Iowa State territory. Then we see Jake Waters rip off a 25 yard run Gashing the clones, getting K-State into the red zone, and then ultimately it ends up being Jake Waters with the eight-yard keeper to put K-State up for good, 32 to 28. So we we've really run the gamut of emotions in this game, going up 13, down 15. There have been so many little break like, and this was one of those games too where pretty much every imaginable break went the way of Kansas State. So don't apologize for it. You take it. And K-State found a way to get out of there with a win. There there was a little bit of stress at the end of this one too. Iowa State did get the ball uh, across midfield and they got it deep actually into, they got, no, I, wouldn't say, I guess I shouldn't say deep. They got it to K-State's 39. And um, I'll never forget this. I remember, uh, Kurtz asking after in postgame uh, asking Danzel McDaniel about the play. Danzel McDaniel ends up coming in off the corner and sacking Sam Richardson on a fourth and five. and there I don't know if Danzel didn't want to divulge the truth there, but I think he read it, and he was coming in from the short side of the uh, uh, short side, and he knew that he had an opportunity to get home and he and he took the risk and he got it. But I remember him being very cryptic about that. Just like, oh, I didn't get the call. didn't know, I didn't know my assignment or whatever. And so he just decided to go for it. I, I think that was him just going balls to the wall and saying, you know what? We got, <laughs> we got to make a play here. We got to get a stop. And, and it ended up working. K-State gets the stop on fourth down. They get the ball back. They get out of there. 32 to 28 is the final. So K-State narrowly escapes Ames with a four-point victory. Wildcats moving now to 2-0 and on the young season, starting the conference slate 1-0. and And I, I know we don't know it now, but th- that does end up being pretty critical had K-State spit it on this first game. Uh, we're never really talking about this group contending for a Big 12 title, but fortunately the Wildcats found a way to get it done. So this sets the stage for, uh, I don't think there's really any argument. This is the biggest home game of the Snyder 2-0 era. You could maybe... Maybe make an argument for the the TCU game in 2015, only in the sense, and that was a little bit different dynamic to it. Only in the sense that you had number two TCU coming in, and you saw K State get out to the big lead, and you were thinking about this that potentially being an unranked K State team toppling a top five team. We'll talk about that obviously in the 2015 pod, but uh, let's let's come back here to Auburn. K-State gets this is the return game from the game that occurred way back in 2007. And I'll, I'll start with you, Clint, on this one. This has moved to a Thursday night. I, again, you're, you're the showcase game. I have no complaints about that. Um, My only thought is that Snyder is so weird in particular and regimented about his, his schedule and having the appropriate amount of time between games and whatnot. Did did any thought enter your mind about how this game had set up moving it to a Thursday? Did you feel that was in the best interest of K-State, or, or did you have a different take on that?
1: Uh, I thought it was fine. I mean, they're also playing on a Thursday. It's even, I mean, we're playing at home. We should have the advantage there. Um, yeah, I was so excited for this game. That Was it back in 2007 that the uh, the first one was? That I mean, that game just meant so much to me going into it both in 2007 and, and this one, just uh, big-time Auburn. I think we were playing at night the first game, too. Um,
2: Anybody else make that trip to Auburn? No. I drove that son of a bitch, and that was a long drive home.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. They were both kind of rough games. You know, one of the big storylines in this one uh, was Nick Marshall who K-State was in contention to get uh, during the 2013 recruiting class. And I remember we had offered uh, both Waters and Nick Marshall, and we were kind of just waiting on whoever was going to commit first we were going to take. At that point, I don't know if Auburn had offered him. I mean, maybe if Nick Marshall would have committed, then maybe he would have decommitted to go to Auburn. But uh, this was a big ammunition against Jake Waters once we lost that game. was, oh, we should have had the more, uh, you know, running quarterback
0: and this is auburn coming off of their their national title appearance the year prior uh they and they got out to a really big lead in that game against florida state but they ended up gagging that game uh but this is a very good auburn team and expectations are still very high for them they come into this game ranked fifth in the country and k-state's still holding steady at uh, at number 20. Uh, that's where k-state opened up and so we've got a top 25 matchup at the bill showcase game and this is, uh, again, the the other reason I think a lot of p- folks wanted this one was uh, the, the SEC, again, ESPN hype m- propaganda machine was in in full force this particular season. As you move later on into the year, this is the season where we have. Alabama, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, all of those SEC teams clustered in the top four, and we're talking, and this is also first year of the playoff as well, so ESPN is loving every second of this, and, and I think that a lot of K-State fans wanted to get that game for that reason. I, I know that was my, my big motivation as a fan. I really wanted this one. Huge magnitude, huge implications, and ultimately, this is a game, too, when you look back at it, the way that the season shook out, that really cost K-State an opportunity at a a New Year's Six Bowl as well. So lots of very high stakes in this one. And things open up with Auburn drawing first blood. They get a field goal. Uh, K-State ultimately ends up getting a touchdown uh, with a little bit less than five minutes left in the second quarter. So now it's seven to three in favor of the Cats. There's been a lot of really weird moments in this game we have a deflection that ends up in a decory johnson interception we had a jake waters fumble um uh, but i think honestly there's been a lot of so a lot of miscues in that first half but i think the biggest one and the one that's obviously going to stick out in everybody's mind is tyler lockett dropping the the easiest touchdown that he he'll he should have ever had in his k-state career quick move to the inside has position balls on time goes right through his hands i don't know about you guys but that's one of those where i that was one of those plays where i i've always just been in the mode of you got to capitalize when you get that close and our margin for error is so very small and in this game it was going to be even smaller i felt like when that happened that we were going to be chasing that touchdown the rest of the game and i don't know if you guys felt any different but i felt like that was going to be a tough hill to climb
2: yeah, and honestly, I think you could even backtrack to a drive or two before that. Um, we actually held Auburn uh, forced a punt on the first drive, and the waters fumble you mentioned was actually just a dropped exchange with Charles Jones. Um, I, I really think K State just came out a little too jacked in this one. I mean, just you know, a lot of a lot of little sloppy mistakes like that really started to add up. But yeah, that to to answer your question though, that that Tyler play so uncharacteristic of anything we ever saw from him at any other point, kind of let the ball come to him a little bit too much, hit him in the chest and popped right up in the air. Clint, I think you said it off air, you know, his hands went to his helmet right away. You, I don't think he knew it was going to be a pick, but like just took the worst possible bounce and he had that defender trailing him. Uh, how right you are when you say we ended up chasing that the rest of the way, you know, when in a game we lose by six. Um, but yeah, it, uh, very, very unfortunate turn of events, uh, given the timing of all of it.
1: Yeah, Tyler was a superstar. I love Tyler Lockett, but I mean, I I will slightly disagree with you that we hadn't seen that because he he did not have the surest of hands in that type of situation always. It seems like if he had an opportunity to make an amazing, incredible catch, he was coming down with it every time, but uh, like bullet right on like a slant pass or uh, just any time where he had an opportunity to use his body instead of his hands, um, that's what he would do. But it, I almost feel like this play right here uh, kind of emotionally stuck with him and he was able to kind of transcend what he already was because of this play. I know he made a post about it on Twitter, I think, the very next week. Uh, and he's continued to talk about it years later. And now, I mean, in the NFL, you would never see him drop something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> just, just
3: starting, you know – we get a stop, then the fumble, but then we held them to a field goal after the fumble deep in our territory. You're like, all right, you know, that's one we gave away, but we, we can overcome that. And then that drop touchdown, that's that's the one you're like, I don't know if we can overcome that along with, you know, what happens the rest of the game with missed field goals. And, you know, I don't think we, looking at the highlights, like we held them in check pretty good. They just made a handful of just incredibly athletic plays that we couldn't really stop. And that was kind of the difference in the game. But yeah, we were definitely going uphill pretty much from
0: the get-go. The, the drive chart for K-State is just <laughs> first possession, three plays, fumble, second possession, 11 plays, interception, third possession, seven plays, miss field goal, next possession, three plays punt, next possession, three plays punt, and then finally, like I said, at the end of the half, K-State goes, gets a short field, they get, uh, they get a 57-yard touchdown drive, like I said, Demarcus Robinson ends up cashing in, so I think we're feeling pretty good going into halftime, but then Auburn, which K-State has, and I think, Alex, to your point, I think everybody's a little on edge, with the defense especially just the way that iowa state had kind of their way with the wildcats and that that stretch of about two and a half quarters where they were just moving the ball up and down the field i think everybody was a little nervous about what auburn might be able to do but k states defense really did rise to the occasion in this game and they forced plenty of punts they forced turnovers they did their part uh but this this was a tough one again if you if you get that touchdown and you get the tyler lockett touchdown you're talking about being up 14 to 3 going into halftime but this again the tyler lockett catch does obviously doesn't materialize k-state gives them a touchdown drive right before the end of the half auburn goes up 10 to 7 so and i also and i can i can see the d scott rich tweet now he had it keyed up queued up ready to go Okay. Bill Snyder with the halftime lead is 169 and whatever the hell the stat was. And and I was just like, and then that all went out the window, obviously, very quickly. So K-State's down 10-7 to seven going into halftime. And then, again, this is where uh, I don't think I have felt as bad for a guy as I felt for Jack Cantelli in this game. I felt bad for Tyler Lockett for dropping that pass, but man, he Cantelli had probably the most forgettable outing for a kicker that you could possibly think of. And, and these, these were not like all 50 plus yarders. Like he had a, he had a gimme 22 yarder, pushed it, had a, another one inside of, uh, let me check here. Bear with me. Burr. Uh, had a 41 yarder. I mean, just three missed field goals in one game. It, 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 just, it sucked all the air out of that stadium. And that place was juiced. That place was juiced. The, the, burr about three quarters, and then uh, there comes a point where after that third missed field goal where K-State was trying to draw a level at 10-10, to Auburn ends up going on an eighty 15-play, 80-yard touchdown drive to go up 17-7, to and I think at that point, you know, one, th- this occurs pretty late in the third quarter, and and you don't really know how many possessions you're going to get after that, and just with the with how... One, unreliable the kicking game has been, and two, just how inconsistent the offense has been all day. You don't know how many opportunities you're going to have to get one score, let alone two scores. But K-State does does make it compelling at the end. Auburn gets another field goal um, following a Jake Waters interception, so it's 20-7 to seven now. And then the Wildcats go on a relatively short touchdown drive, go 65 yards in just uh, 2 minutes and 39 seconds. And they draw to within 20 to 14. So this is still a game, and Auburn, there's less than four minutes left. So it's not like Auburn's just going to have to get one first down and kneel on this thing. Like K-State made them earn it, and, and I'll I'll never forget the little double move that they ran uh, to get by Danzel McDaniel. That was a tough one to swallow because K-State did have a chance to get the ball back. Um, Auburn was facing a third down and nine from their own 37. And they went deep to Duke Williams and got 40 yards out of it, got a first down, and then they were able to to kill clock from that point there. So it all ends in a 20 to 14 loss. Again, all the miscues that you could possibly ask for in this game. Where, and Alex, I know you've talked about it before, how the national narrative and this was an ESPN telecast, obviously, the national narrative is is always, well, K State never beats itself. K State never does anything wrong. K State special teams are always rock solid. Three missed field goals, two turnovers. Uh, excuse me, three turnovers. You you totally shot your own dick off in this game. You had every opportunity, not just to win this game, but to win it comfortably, and you didn't do it. That that part stung probably the most to me. We did have zero uh, penalties, though. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a shame the the defense played lights out for most of the game. I mean, uh, Danzel McDaniel and DeCorey Johnson were just flying all over the field. Um, you know, it made you really wonder what the hell Will Davis was doing on the field when DeCorey Johnson could be out there.
2: Yeah. I tell you what, I'll, to go back to 2007, obviously this game is a lasting effect of Ron Prince's we-have-to-play-everybody-you've-ever-heard-of mentality. Um Never in my life did I think we would let both games slip through our fingers the way that we did. It's it, it's kind of funny the way it all shook out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this this one much different. Uh, the, the Ron Prince game, I, I – I felt that one was on much more borrowed time than anything. Like, I I never really expected K-State to to pull that one out. They had to do the little trick pass. Uh, Jordy, I can't remember if it was Jordy to Leon Patton. I think, if I remember right, that was the play that got Uh K-State the lead. But... Um, I, I felt like, uh, and that that was just a four point advantage, and you just kind of knew that Auburn was going to put together a drive at some point because K State was struggling to move the ball. This one was one where I really did feel like K State had outplayed Auburn and, and really did deserve the win in that regard. Um, but you, you, you have no running game in this. You, you, you get some a nice line from Jake Waters. He goes. 24 for 40 throws for 245. But again, the two interceptions, obviously very costly. Tyler Lockett pretty well clamped down six catches for 45 yards. So credit to Auburn there. Now, Curry Sexton, uh, I think Auburn was going to do what pretty much every other team in the big 12 ends up saying is like, if Curry Sexton is going to beat us, we don't give a shit. So we'll let Curry Sexton have what he had. He had 11 catches, 121, but to sit on Tyler Lockett, the way that they did uh, that, uh, big credit has to go to Auburn's defense there. But In any event, it it does result in a 20 to 14 loss for the Wildcats, but still one to know in the Big 12 and everything pretty much still in front of this squad. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the UTEP game. K-State did drop to number 25 in the polls, and they took out their frustrations the following week after <laughs> after that on UTEP. They got up 31 to nothing at halftime on the Miners, end up winning 58 to 28. Uh, work out some kinks, flex the muscles a little bit. Uh, so K-State takes care of business, and now uh, again, we're still it's still all in front of this group. Big 12 title still very much out there, and then the following week, K-State uh, handles business at home against Texas Tech. Wildcats win that one, 45 to 13. And again, this is another one where we see uh, Curry Sexton really shine in this particular game. Uh, and and Clint, I don't know how you feel about that that one-handed grab, but that's probably one of the best catches we've seen. From a wide receiver uh, during the Bill Snyder 2-0 era, yeah, it was all right. Um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he
1: had to go up and then kind of reach around the defender and just stick his one hand out there. I'm always a little less impressed with one-handed catches when you could, you know, stick out two hands. And I think he probably could have stuck out the second hand. Um, you know, if he was running full speed and diving down the field and stretched out with one hand and caught it, you yeah, that'd be a great catch, but. I, I don't want to shit on Curry Sexton. That was a great play, but I, I think there's been some better out there. I, I think that one's a little overrated. It was a Ooh. fly catch,
3: but the difficulty may be overrated.
1: The level of difficulty, it was a nice catch, and it looked pretty cool. But It looked very cool. I, I saw there's a car driving around Manhattan somewhere today where, where there's they painted on that play of him. <laughs> Reaching out one hand and catching it.
0: I have a picture of it on my phone. Uh, it's a little bit
2: of a reach, but okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll put we'll put that up uh, as a Twitter poll on the uh, follow follow the college underscore Kimball account. We'll we'll put a poll out there about this Curry Sexton grab. But uh, oh, he and I'm not sure locked Part on my take on that.
2: <laughs> I was just That's about to say, takes, I don't think I'm as tough a crowd as you guys are, but I'm not painting it on my car either. So,
0: <laughs> come on, Nutter invest in the program here. Uh, Curry Sexton and Tyler Lockett both go for over 120 yards here. Uh, Jake Waters, exceptional, four touchdowns, no picks, throws for just under 300 yards, goes for 290, uh, also runs for 100 yards in this game. K-State outgains the Red Raiders uh, 535 to 347. Uh, so uh, Davis Webb is actually the starter for Tech in this game, but uh young man by the name of Patrick Mahomes does get some snaps towards the end when this one is pretty well decided. But, The Wildcats uh, were on cruise control from the jump, and this one jumped out 17 to nothing midway through the second quarter, and then they got a late touchdown uh, from uh, Tyler Lockett at the end of that quarter to make it 24 to 7, and again, K-State Hammers, Texas Tech, always great to see. This is the Wildcats' fourth straight victory over the Red Raiders, and, and not a particularly great team as far as Kingsbury's squads go. But K-State handles business, moves to 2-0 in the Big 12, 4-1 overall. So this sets up the big showdown in Norman. Now uh, we talked about games where K-State really had a lot of breaks go their way. And here is yet another one where things go the Wildcats way. And this uh, this was a really great game. Again, I always talk about this. If you're just an objective college football fan this is a really fun game just to watch uh and i think this this really underscored to me how entertaining it was to have a quarterback that was actually a quarterback uh, and not just a, a running back being treated as a battering ram and then occasionally being asked to pass. K-State's offense was very dynamic this uh, in, in these, this early part of the season where Jake Waters wa- was healthy and, uh, enough to run. We had Charles Jones running Wildcat, Demarcus Robinson. So you had some threats in the backfield. You also, also had Glenn Gronkowski as well. Uh, this, this was a really great and well-executed game plan by K-State, uh, the Wildcats end up going into Norman for the second straight uh, time and collecting a victory. This one, 31 to 30. Now lots, this is a seesaw affair, uh, lots of back and forth. As I just said, I I can't really think of a more memorable play in this game, other than the one of the shortest pick sixes you will ever see in your life. And, And this is always kind of where I laugh when teams are, are, Getting really ballsy, uh, backed up against their own end zone, which this is what Oklahoma did. Um, and Trevor Knight floats one out uh, to the far sideline, and on McDaniel steps in front of it, and takes it five yards for a touchdown. And, and and while that game, that obviously did not decide the game, that uh, that simply made it 14 to seven early on in the second quarter. Uh, I think that was that was the kind of play you knew K State was going to need if it needed to hang around.
2: Yeah, it was uh, the most ill advised quick out you'll probably ever see, for sure. Um, and then, like you said, Trevor just put a little too much air under it. <laughs> you know, Danzel's eyes had to be, you know, saucers. Because, um, like you said, he basically caught it standing on the goal line. I mean, you, you don't even have to go anywhere. Um, almost reminiscent of the, uh, the, the fumble recovery in the end zone in 2012. You know, it's, it's literally just right there for you on a platter. So, um Yeah, you know, definitely a tone setter. Obviously, still had to go out and earn it the rest of the way. Um, Obviously, I was stoked about the win at the time. But as time has passed, I think I've realized this is definitely, like, one of my favorite wins of of Bill's second tenure, for sure. Um, You know, if you believe in karma, obviously, it's like everything that didn't go our way against Auburn a couple weeks prior. You know, the the pendulum definitely swung in the other direction in this one. You had their all-world, all-everything kicker missing PAT distance field goals and every basically anything that any break we needed, we got that day.
1: Yeah. Honeycutt actually tied the big 12 record for most field goals made with his first field goal. So he was going to break, uh, set a new record for most field goals made. And, uh, his next two attempts just went way, way, way wide. I think they both went wide left. And then he had, was it the, um, so did we decide Brits blocked an extra point or one of the field goals?
2: Brits blocked an extra point uh, to keep uh, to keep us in the lead. It, okay. it kept it at 31-30. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this is one of those games where Bill Snyder definitely earned the wizard nickname around the uh, college uh, fans nationwide. Uh, we got outgained by 150 yards. You talked about the Danzel interception. Gronk had a pop pass uh, for a long touchdown. Uh, Mike stoops had a, a stroke
2: about that, by the way
1: <laughs> and then the uh um, one of my favorite catches of all time you know uh was that uh, locket deep over the middle where he kind of got hit in midair by two guys not a big hit but he took some contact in midair i think that was a uh, offsides by
0: oklahoma and jake waters took advantage of it going deep with locket Lots of little plays that you can point to in this game. Obviously, when you have one decided by a single point, there are a ton of moments that you can look to. Uh, and this, I will not to certainly don't want to discredit the win. This is K-State going on the road, and Oklahoma's just outside of the top 10 at this point. They're ranked 11th in the country. But um, this does not end up being one of Stoops' better squads. But again, at the, at the point in time, we're, we're still, the the Big 12 still very much is thought to run through Norman. And to that point, K-State went into Norman and handled business. They found a way to get it done. Uh, And uh, the, the, the bigger moment in this game, I guess as we look down the road, is Jake Waters getting dinged up uh, when he gets ridden down in his shoulder uh, we have a little bit of a shoulder injury there I, and admittedly I don't know if this was shoulder getting separated an issue with an AC joint whatever might have happened there but I know once that occurred essentially QB run goes out the window in this game for k State so we start relying a little bit more on Charles Jones and Demarcus Robinson and, and to that Point that to their credit, the the Wildcats end up still racking up 160 yards on the ground. They average over five yards a carry. It's still a, a very, very respectable day for K-State on the ground. And, and Nutter, you, you talked about it. Their their Travis Britt's bro- blocking the PAT to keep it, uh, keep the Wildcats on top, 31 to 30. And we're we're getting to a point where the offense has become very predictable. So K-State has to punt, give it back to Oklahoma with a chance to win. Uh, maybe not a chance to win, but a chance to more or less take the lead. And and K-State would have very little time in, in an offense where we don't really know what Jake Waters is capable of doing and, and whatnot. So K-State's really asking and imploring the defense and special teams to, to come up with a stop. And to their, to their credit, they do. Now, Honeycutt, duck hooks the this thing and granted he was lined up on the on the far hash but that that is honestly the worst hook you will ever see and at such close range and i know everybody talks about when you're when you are at close range how the the angles and the geometry of it can kind of fuck with the psyche and i don't know if that was what happened but k-state is the beneficiary of a horrible missed field goal uh, that keeps the game at 31 to 30 in favor of the cats and Oh, this is one of those moments too, where you're you're extremely proud of your guys uh, in coming through in the clutch. So K State, uh, Oklahoma's defense uh, forces the Wildcats into a third down uh, late in the contest, and this is kind of the same position Colin Klein and company were in two years earlier, where there was a big third down and nine. Termaine Thompson caught a little drag route going across the middle ended up getting K-State a first down, giving them a chance to kill uh, the the remaining time on the clock. K-State's confronted with a similar proposition late in this game after that missed field goal. So the Wildcats now have the ball. It's third down and, excuse me, third down and three. And... I, for one, was stunned that they wanted to put the ball in the air, but they end up doing just that. Just again, K-State had pretty much closed up the playbook. We were just going Charles Jones, Demarcus Robinson. We were wildcatting the hell out of this thing, just trying to get out of the (laughs) just trying to get out of that stadium. And they put the ball in the air and Curry Sexton makes, again, one of the biggest grabs of the season, that uh, six yard reception to give K-State the the game icing first down. Uh, that that's a play I, I have to mention because that's that's a play a lot of folks will probably forget. But that's really a, that play essentially sets K State up and puts them in the driver's seat now in the Big 12 as we head down the home stretch. Very impressive connection by those two to close out that game.
1: Yeah, we could just rely on the passing game that year in the a, a way that we couldn't in a lot of years. You'll see a lot of uh, third and longs that K State was able to um, convert. There's a lot of times late in games where we were just able to uh, put the ball in the up in the air and have a lot of faith in it.
0: So the Wildcats get it done, move to three and zero in the big 12, five and one overall after picking up their second straight win in Norman. So now, as we said, K State more or less in, in pole position in the big 12, and they've got a, a pretty easy stretch of games here as we get ready to close that October. Uh, this uh, we have a very bad charlie strong texas team coming into manhattan and uh, the weird thing about that this particular game was uh, i i don't remember a lot about it again everybody was kind of concerned about jake water's health for obvious reasons but this was uh in the midst of the royals world series run i remember a lot more hype about that i think i just remember a lot more chatter in the stands this game kicked off at 11 in the morning and i just remember a lot more fans that were like oh Ready to watch? I can't remember if it was Game Five or Game Four. I would have to go back and check, but I just remember that was the big talk in the stands and everything. And at our tailgate and all that, it was just kind of weird. We're sitting here with K-State at five and one and three and zero oh in the Big 12 with the chance to go to four and zero oh in conference play and and remain in contention for a Big 12 title. But uh, obviously, the Royals being in a, in a World Series, pretty significant happening for for those Kansas City or and not just Kansas City, but Kansas Cats. So the Wildcats uh, uh, guys, I'll be honest. I remember nothing about this game at all in case it gets a shutout uh it's 23 to nothing like i said this is a a very bad texas team um there's there's nothing to it the wildcats more or less double up on the horns and yardage, 367 to 196. Uh, They forced Texas into one turnover. Tyrone Swoops. I I love seeing that name in the box score here. Tyrone Swoops is quarterbacking for UT. Uh, Jake Waters obviously easily outduels him throwing for 224. Uh, Doesn't have any touchdowns, but uh, again, Demarcus Robinson, Charles Jones pick up the slack in the running game. And again, there's just really not a whole lot to this. Do you guys have any memory, any recollection of this game at all? But Jake Waters
1: you... hurt in this game. No, we had, we saw Huebner come in for several plays, and they didn't let him pass the ball, but he had several runs. Um, then I think uh, Waters must have got in and got a shot in his shoulder. He came out and was able to finish it. Yeah, I I don't remember the defense being overly dominant in this game, which is kind of surprising for a shutout. It was just that the Texas offense was kind of trash.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's funny you let in the way you did, Jeff, because really the only thing I remember about this game is that Jason Vargas was starting for the Royals that night. Um, I remember, I mean, I was there. I was physically in the stadium, but yeah, my mind was very clearly in San Francisco with the World Series.
3: Yeah, I'm just realizing that I think uh, I started working a lot of weekends during this season. So like that Oklahoma game, I was trying to watch while at work and i must have been working that weekend of the texas game i don't remember pretty much anything from it
0: dynamite dropping money <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: the wildcats uh moved to six and one overall again four zero oh in big 12 play uh the cats have ascended now into number 11 in the polls so Moving on up. And then we finally we get a night game in Manhattan primetime, seven o'clock ESPN uh, against Oklahoma State. Uh, this is uh, one of Gundy's uh, teams that's again, they've kind of been in in this weird rebuilding mode since really you can trace it back to Brandon Whedon uh, departing and Justin Blackman and those guys from a couple of years back. They've Oklahoma State's just kind of been middling at, at that Seven and five, eight and four-ish level, and K-State is very much the superior team in this one. The the Pokes do strike first. Tyree Hill, aforementioned Tyree Hill, does score on a touchdown run on Oklahoma State's opening drive. But Morgan Burns uh, returns the favor on the ensuing kickoff to make it seven to seven, and then it's pretty much all Wildcats from there. They put the foot on the gas, and Oklahoma State really never has any chance to get back into this game. Uh, the Wildcats actually end up reeling off 45 consecutive points after Oklahoma State struck first, and uh, <laughs> the only thing that the, the Cowboys do get a late score in this game after uh, Joe Hubner throws an ill-advised throw to Ramon Richards, who takes it 38 yards for a pick six, but the Wildcats dominant in this one throughout. They outgain Oklahoma State 421-260, to Cats plus two on turnovers. DeCorey Johnson has a nice game defensively for Kansas State. Danzel McDaniel, Morgan Burns. We haven't talked about some of the defensive guys that have been making contributions. Uh, Ryan Mueller's been pretty quiet this season. I think he drew a lot of uh, attention uh, with his big breakout year the season prior. So he's getting a lot of doubles on the uh, as far as uh, what he's able to do. On, on the defensive line. So we're not hearing as much about him defensively, but the Wildcats defense really as a collective is is rock solid against an, an Oklahoma State offense that does have some some decent weapons. Again, and Tyreek Hill, obviously, James Washington, Marcel Aitman, they've got some good guys out there, but the Cats pretty well bottled the pokes up. And uh, again, this offensive way for K-State, this is uh, the Jake Waters show and Jake Water Jake Waters is pretty much 252 touchdowns and that's pretty much what you could rely on him for every single week. Uh, the, they do run him a handful of times in this game. He does end up with nine carries, but uh, Tyler Lockett and Curry Sexton have nice outings. Curry Sexton has 159 yards receiving in the touchdown. Tyler Lockett, six catches for 94 yards, so doing some damage against his home state team there. So the Wildcats moving to now 5-0 and in Big 12 play 48 to 14 victors over Oklahoma State. So that sets up a showdown with uh, an unexpected showdown, I should also say, with TCU squad that's really kind of reinvented itself. Uh, Gary Patterson made some changes as far as coordinators go in the offseason, and the uh, the Frogs really end up opening things up with Trevon Boykin. And and this, I, I honestly didn't really have a good feeling about this game going in because I knew... We we struggled defensively uh, against the likes of Nick Marshall uh, just because of the the dual threat that he presented. And I know Trevon Boykin was having a a huge breakout season. I I didn't feel great about this one, but this was a game where K-State was really outclassed. I I don't know. Were you guys surprised at how quickly this game got out of hand in Fort Worth?
2: Yeah, maybe a little. I'm not at all surprised that we didn't win. Like you said, I didn't never really felt good about it going in. Um, if I remember right, we really tried to force the home run to lock it early. Um, and I think that might have been what come back to us in, to what came back to bite us in the ass. Um, because we were down 14-0, uh what looked like it was going to be going into the into the second quarter. We did hit the home run to lock it just before the end of the first. But then from there, I mean TCU it was. They almost paper cutted us to get paper us to death after that. So yeah, not surprised we lost. I was a little surprised at at how we lost.
0: Yeah, no, you talked about it that the the death by a thousand cuts here uh, to TCU really did whatever they wanted in this game. And I talked about the dual threat element that Trevon Boykin presented at quarterback. He, he was extraordinarily difficult to contain and to that point he, he rushes for 123 yards and also complemented by aaron green in the backfield who goes for a buck 71 so k-state's defense really for the first time all season is is exploited in a very bad way the the frogs end up racking up 553 yards they outgain k-state by 123 yards to, uh, total um, and the wildcats do make this one they do draw it to within two scores Midway through the third quarter, after a Curry Sexton touchdown catch, to make it 24 to 14. And honestly, uh, and having just gone back and looked at the box score, I don't remember this game ever feeling like it was 10 points. I just remember TCU foot on the throat so early, and, and K State just never really having much of a shot in this one. So the Wildcats end up falling to TCU 41 to 20. We're talking about this like they got ripped 55 to 7. It wasn't that bad, but man, they. TCU's offense was extremely dynamic this year, and K-State got to see it firsthand, obviously, in a, in a very big stage in Fort Worth. Gus Johnson calling this one prime time for Fox proper, and and unfortunately, this is K-State on this is kind of again the same thing that we we really always come to know about Bill Snyder teams is when stage is big, when lights are bright, these teams don't typically perform. Uh, to that point, K- uh, Bill Snyder was. Was four and twenty-seven in his career against top ten teams. So, why would we have been surprised by the outcome? <laughs> I, <guess.
3: laughs> um, I think the end of that game, you kind of, you kind of buy into the whole. You know, we sh- felt like we should have beat Auburn, and you know, we got outgained by Oklahoma, but we pulled that off, and we beat Texas and Oklahoma State pretty good. But then, so you think you have a chance? You're like, well. We're not the most talented team out there, but we're we're finding ways to win. And then you realize that that formula doesn't really work when the talent gap is so massive. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's easy to believe um that you know Bill Snyder doesn't need to pull in big recruits. He can coach his players up just fine when you're beating Oklahoma, but then you get brought back down to earth with uh, one of these games, and you're just like,
0: ah uh, yeah, recruiting really needs to be picked up All right and again, this is like I said. I, I know the offensive shift for TCU was very uh, pivotal for Gary Patterson and company because it, he had really struggled in his first, in their first couple of years in the Big 12, and I think a lot of people were saying whether or not TCU truly belonged, or if they're really just going to kind of recede back into the middle of the Big 12 and whatnot. But I think again, this this just goes to show you that TCU's been been, been recruiting at a Mid uh, that in an upper forties, low thirties level at this point in time, and I think this went to show a lot of people like Gary Patterson still has good coaching chops, obviously, and he and he knew when he needed to make some personnel changes on his staff, and and to that point. TCU uh, ultimately ends up sharing the Big 12 uh, this season. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we move towards the end of the year. So that uh, moves K-State to 8-2 overall. The Cats dropped their first conference game of the season. So K-State now 5-1 and one in Big 12 play. Now the Wildcats still uh, mathematically not eliminated. Baylor, TCU, and K-State are all in this jumble of teams with one loss in conference play so k-state is still very much in control and can uh, at this point at eight and two you're probably up excuse me you're not talking about national championship but you're still talking about a nice new year six bowl destination you could potentially go in fiesta you could be going cotton depending on how things shake out there's a lot of things that can happen so K-State goes on the road to play West Virginia. K-State actually a two-point dog in this game. I I was stunned to go back and look and find that on the line. Uh, West Virginia was six and four uh, coming into this one. And and honestly, I never for once thought this was a game that was going to be, I shouldn't say not competitive, but I never once thought that K-State was going to be in danger of losing this game. And I know people who were at the game will say it was probably one of the coldest damn things that they've ever had to sit through. But The the Wildcats really took control in this one early. They got up 10 to nothing midway through the second quarter. Tyler Lockett has probably the funniest damn punt return touchdown. Dana Holgerson, special teams. This is kind of when Dana Holgerson is kind of befuddled about the kind of impact that special teams can have on a game. And they kick a low short one to Tyler, who just literally just kind of turns and waltzes into the end zone to make it 17 to three. Um, at that point I was feeling pretty confident about the outcome. Dana actually got greedy, uh, right at the end of the half, uh, K-State didn't end up cashing in on that, unfortunately, but K-State's up 17 to three going into the locker room. Um, Matthew McCrane called on quite a bit in this one. He delivers, uh, knocks in, uh, excuse me, four field goals in this contest. And there, there was a pretty wonky play, uh, with West Virginia driving uh, that that we have a ball that get like essentially like an acrobatic play with the receiver somersaulting and a ball getting flung up and caught by and it ultimately is ruled that the wide receiver that the ball hit the ground thankfully for K-State's sake because this one does actually get a little stressful late in the contest where K-State's made it uh, 26 to 17 following McCrane's fourth made field goal. So there's 252 left, uh, and K-State's really just calling on its defense at this point. Just hang on for us. We'll get out of here. We'll get home. All will be well. Uh, West Virginia does drive down, though. They get inside the K-State red zone, but end up having to settle for a 25-yard field goal with 53 seconds left. It's just one of those things. K-State's fortunate special teams come through, and the Wildcats are able to hold on after that by recovering the onside kick, and they win 26-20. to um, <laughs> there's a lot of wonky things in this game and the big thing you'll see if you see the box score is 400 yards passing and one count of one yard rushing on 29 attempts I I didn't know did that send up any red flags to anybody about what this team might be able to accomplish going down the home stretch here with that big game against Baylor coming up or at this point are we all just saying you know what we're riding and dying with Jake and Ty- uh, with Jake and Curry and Tyler let's just keep you know, keep rolling those dice and seeing what happens.
2: Yeah. At this point it's late November. I mean, we know who we are at this point. Like obviously you've got to be far more productive running the ball. Like I knew Jake was the leading rusher with 13 yards. I guess I didn't realize we net, you said we netted one rushing yard on the day. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that bad. You've got to get more production to you, you know, just to round out your offense a little more, but no, I mean, it's not a red flag. It's too late in the year to call it that. I think.
3: I'm already feeling bad about that Baylor game before this game anyways, after the TCU game. So it is what it was, I guess.
2: I will say, I don't remember this game being that close. Like I know obviously West Virginia was playing catch up basically from the, from jump, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I remember, you know, it's a weird Thursday night road game. Um, But it, yeah, I, I feel like I remember having that game far more in control than we apparently actually did.
1: Yeah, I agree. That game did not feel close until the very end of the game. Didn't feel like we had anything to worry about, at least, until the very end of the game. Um, West Virginia was our whipping boy at this point. That's how I felt about him. Um, you know, I I really hated this uh, rushing attack this year. I mean, stats will obviously show that we weren't very good. But, man, I just I hated the way we ran the ball. It seemed like ever since Colin Klein, uh, you know, his patient style of running, that was – the way our running backs were going to be running for the rest of Bill Snyder's tenure there, where we we're just going to kind of sit and wait for a hole to open up, kind of dance around back there. And then finally go for it. You no, know, that works. If you have someone like Colin Klein, who's elite at it, but you know, other players aren't going to be quite as good.
2: Yeah. Legend has it. Charles Jones is actually still dancing in the backfield to this day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, it, and honestly, Jake was not a great compliment to that. Cause Jake, uh, a little bit more decisive and I think more that's more of a byproduct of him just having the snaps the year before but he, he too was kind of guilty of that if it, if it's not there you would see him bounce around a little bit more and, and to his credit he was a little bit more elusive and can weave uh, a little bit better than some other guys obviously a little bit better than Colin but um but yeah that uh, this was not a good cocktail in the sense that you had Pretty plain running backs and Jones and Demarcus Robinson, and then you, you compliment that with Jake at quarterback. They, they, this is kind of honestly, I, I've never really Daniel Sam's has not really entered my mind at any point this year. This was the one game where he just kind of crept back into my head. I was like, I really wish we could have just had him, and, and you know, maybe extended a couple of those field goal drives, maybe punch one of those in, so we're not freaking out about this game and having it come down to an onside kick when we've really pretty much owned the day, but neither here nor there at this point, the Wildcats end up taking care of business. Uh, Clint Trickett gets knocked out in this one. I remember that and Skyler Howard ends up coming in for him in relief. That was kind of what spurned the West Virginia comeback, but the K-State able to hold on, moved to eight and two on the year and six and one in Big 12 play. So now Wildcats coming back home, post Thanksgiving, hosting the Kansas Jayhawks and very much what we've come to know uh, at this point in time with the Sunflower Showdown 51 to 13. I know Jake Waters to Tyler Lockett right over the top and Tyler in this game uh, right before halftime ends up breaking his dad's uh, touchdown reception record uh, with his little six yard out to make it 31 to six. We'll talk a little bit more about Tyler's impact. really as as a collective and what mark he left on the program. But I'm again, at this point, we're just we're we're elated to be in this position where we're hammering Kansas year in and year out preeminent program in the state. Again, that's the same talking points that you're going to hear every year as long as K-State keeps winning this game and it continues to be very one sided. I again I don't know how you guys felt about this, but this was really just kind of I'm looking looking ahead to the Baylor game because I know what's still very much on the table in that game. I, I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts going into this one, but that's all that I was really focused on.
1: Love beating KU uh, took care of business. I don't have a whole lot of memories from this one, though.
2: Kind of the same boat. That score is pretty quintessential KUK state, though
3: just that locket touchdown on the uh sideline diving for the pylons pretty much my only memory of this game
0: but you know wasn't really worried about it nope uh K state again up 31 to 6 at halftime they end up cruising 51 to 13 and I know one thing that I I would be remiss if I mentioned Matthew McCrane uh, after, really after the the Auburn game. This is when the kicking position kind of goes up for grabs, uh, justifiably so. Um, Matthew McCrane has more or less entrenched himself as the place kicker, uh, but Jack Cantilli, uh, kind of a cool moment, gets to come in uh, late with four minutes, thirty-six seconds left in the fourth, and he knocks in a thirty-nine yarder. I, I felt my 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 heart felt great in that moment for him because it just it, again the, the Auburn game sucks so much, and, and I know he probably. Took a lot of that on his shoulders, despite the fact that there were about ten other miscues that happened in that game. But that was just a really cool moment uh, for me to see, to see him go back out there and knock that one in. Uh, and also, I don't know what it is, but getting over the fifty point barrier is just very gratifying, uh particularly against KU. So that uh, puts K State over that that fifty point mark. Cats fifty one to thirteen winners out game KU five oh five to one ninety six. Wildcats all over the Hawks to move to seven and one in Big 12 play, nine and two overall. And this is it, top 10 showdown. K State going on the road to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears college game day in the house in Waco, Texas. And uh, if I remember right, Corso actually picked K State to win. Um, thank you, Lee. But uh, neither here nor there. So K State is not surprisingly a seven point underdog going into this game. I I, I'll i say this, from a game planning standpoint, I was not nearly as worried about Baylor as I was about TCU because of the Trevon Boykin element. Uh, Bryce Petty did not scare me <laughs> in the same way that Travon Boykin did. The only thing that's in my head, though, is that it really feels like Art has had Snyder's number. If you go back, Art's won four of the last five meetings, the only one being Robert Griffin's Heisman season, where K-State found a way to escape with a one point victory, but Bryles has really had Snyder's number here. And that was one—that was the thing that was always in the forefront of my mind is, I, I don't know if we have enough in the bag of tricks really to win this game, because we're going to need essentially the same type of breaks that we had in that Oklahoma game to, to be a competitor in this one. Did you guys feel the same way or did you feel like k state could actually hang just running what we had come to know in the Wildcats to do that season?
1: I always think that K-State's going to win. I've said that many times, but uh, I, I probably did not feel great about this one. Um, just our performance against TCU. Uh, you know, just any time we go up against a heavy passing team who does it very well, I definitely was a little bit worried this year. I mean, Danzel McDaniel is a fan favorite, but he was not a great coverage player. Uh, Morgan Burns, not a great Coverage cornerback. Uh Dylan Schellenberg. We're relying on him a lot this year. Um, just a, a game that I was very worried about. Yeah, you said you weren't worried about Bryce Petty. You
3: know, he didn't have the dual threat um scare like uh Boykin did, but at the same time against a spread offense that not only is a good spread throwing, but they were a elite running team as a spread offense. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Snyder, uh, had a lot of trouble with Baylor was just, you know, they could run it just as well as they could throw it. And that's always concerning when we were playing them, when they were, when they were clicking. So, yeah, I wasn't, didn't have a great feeling about
2: that one. Sorry, Alex, I meant to catch you off. Um, weirdly enough, this is a game where I think we could have benefited from a little bit more reliable run game. Um, you know, really kind of grind down the clock and, and keep that offense off the field. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're not up to the challenge there. Uh, Charles Jones is our leading rusher, but only has 45. We barely crack a hundred as a team on the ground that day. We do win the possession battle, but yeah, I mean, they didn't need any time at all to move the ball, but, uh, yeah, I can't say I ever felt great about that one going in. You know, we hung tough till late in the game and similar to TCU, they kind of just gradually pulled away, but, uh, Yep, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm I, I'm kind of the anti Clint. I think I don't ever really feel good going into games like this.
0: And that's realized quite quickly, Nutter. This game starts out in very typical Art Briles Baylor track meet fashion, and K State's looking like they can't keep up. Bears get the opening possession, 81 yards, eight plays, touchdown. Only takes a minute 35. K State's opening possession, they go six plays and punt. Baylor gets the ball right back. They go 81 yards, but K-State fortunate enough to force a turnover, and interception in the end zone by Randall Evans, thwarts the drive. So K-State fortunate enough not to be down two scores very early in this contest. The Wildcats get the ball back for the offense, but again, Jake Waters and company sputter. Baylor takes the uh, possession following punt. They go 80 yards, 10 plays, touchdown. So Baylor, again, just racing all over the field. Uh, they've, <laughs> again, 242 yards on just their first three possessions. This Again, Baylor is exceptionally sharp in their execution early on. K-State does respond, though. They go 10 plays, 68 yards, and they get a touchdown. This comes courtesy of a Charles Jones one-yard run. And then Baylor gets the ball right back, though, and responds with a touchdown drive of their own, 70 yards, 11 plays. So, K-State now in a little bit of a back and forth as the Wildcats punch right back. Zach Trujillo on a little bootleg rollout catches a 38-yard touchdown pass, excuse me, 36-yard touchdown pass from Jake Waters. And then the Wildcats force the rarest of a, a unicorn in terms of Baylor games, uh, they force a three and out. So the Wildcats get the ball with one minute and 40 seconds left on their own 39-yard line. So the Wildcats, you're thinking at this point, man, we've, we've really weathered the storm here and, and we have a chance to close this down to potentially a four-point game at halftime or maybe even have this thing level going into the break. I mean, that's crazy just with the way Baylor has moved up and down the field. And unfortunately, the Wildcats can't produce anything. Waters is sacked on the first play of the possession by Bryce Hager. That puts K-State behind the chains. The Wildcats have to give the ball right back to Baylor. And and really at this point, I think everybody's thinking with only 30 seconds left and Baylor at their own 23, there's probably not much that's going to happen here. But again, Baylor will put foot on the gas, and they'll get to where they need to go quickly. And that's just what they do. They cover 48 yards in seven plays, and they end up getting a Chris Callahan 46-yard field goal right at the gun going into halftime. And that that was really a a ball breaker because K-State had really weathered the storm, and you felt like with the Wildcats getting possession to start the second half that They might be able to claw their way back into this game, but Baylor taking a 10-point lead into the locker room was really a killer. Uh, The Wildcats do take possession, though, uh, beginning the second half, and they get a field goal of their own to draw it back to within 24 to 17. But then Baylor strikes quickly on the return possession with an Antoine Goodley 58-yard touchdown reception, just two plays, 77 yards on that drive. And, and, And that's really where you felt like the game got away from K-State. Baylor's pushed it out to two scores, and, it, and it's it's really never feeling like the Wildcats are going to draw to more than within one score in this contest. The Wildcats get another field goal on their next possession, but Baylor answers that with a touchdown. So now it's 38-20. to This one's pretty well sealed up. K-State does make it a little bit intriguing at the end of the contest. The Wildcats get a touchdown on a 90-yard drive uh, to make it 38 to 27. The problem there was that it ate up seven minutes, so probably cut in uh, at least one possession that K-State could have had maybe later on in the in the contest. But the seven-minute drive hurts the Wildcats. They do force a Baylor punt and get the ball back. So we're, we're looking at 38-27, and there's, there's some time left in this contest. There's still nine minutes left, and K-State's only down 11. Uh, Jake Waters does take the Wildcats down into let's say threatening territory Uh, completes a a really ballsy pass to Tyler lock at a 20 yarder on a third down and 15, where it was pretty much an effort. I'm going to you and uh, lofts it right over the top of the defender. Tyler hauls it in. So K-State's in business five minutes, eight seconds left. And I I don't know what the, the plan was here. If this was a miscommunication, what happened, but Deontay Burton, the the seldom thrown to Deontay Burton, this is very early in his K-State career, is lined up on the near side, and he's isolated out on that island against Sabian Howard, a future NFL cornerback. And I don't know if that was a a miscommunication, a bad read by Jake not knowing he was there. I don't know what happened. Deontay runs a pretty deep curl route, and when he breaks back inside – Jake throws the ball to the outside shoulder. Xavier Howard is just waiting there after Deontay's made his little cut, and the ball goes right into Xavier Howard's hands. And Baylor gets pretty much what amounts to being the game sealing interception. The, the Bears are able to salt away the remaining time and come out on top in this one, 38 to 27. Uh, again, that that play. Th- there, there was so much that had transpired. Prior to that, where again, K-State was just perpetually trying to climb up the hill and, and Baylor was the superior team on this day. I, I don't think anybody outside of maybe the K-State locker room felt overly great about the Wildcats' chances of going into Waco and getting a victory. And, and to that point, I, I'm not... It, it sucked that the chance for that Big 12 title was there. You have an opportunity to, to gain a share with TCU, but I, I'm not at all shocked that, that, that K-State was outclassed on this day. It was unfortunate, but uh, again, Baylor had their way with the Wildcats, uh, just went up and down the field, and, and, and K-State, from a game-planning standpoint, probably did all that you could have asked that while yes they do give up 400 excuse me 584 yards of total offense to baylor they they limit the bears to just nine possessions outside of and and 10 if you include the final possession after the turnover where baylor just has to kill clock and kneel things out to hold baylor to nine possessions it was obviously part of the recipe and, and the, the stunning part in all of this is that Jake Waters really has a, a, mar- a remarkable day, throws for 300 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but K-State has 40 rushing attempts in this contest and only nets 103 yards. And, and while I, I do believe that was likely part of the game plan, uh, I, I, it's kind of a matter of perception here. Do you want to go down swinging and have Jake Waters throw it 40, 50 times and try to go toe-to-toe with Baylor playing their own game? No, but if you're ultimately going to end up losing by 11 or losing by 17 or 18, is there really a drastic difference in approach there? Uh, I, you know, who's to say, but the Wildcats come up short on this day. The, The opportunity for a Big 12 title is out the window. Baylor ends up sharing the conference crown with TCU and the Wildcats do finish the season ranked, not, uh, excuse me, at a, with a mark of nine and three, seven and two in Big 12 play, and earn a bid to the Alamo Bowl, where, where they will square off against a Jim Moore-led UCLA. And uh, this is a, a milestone for the Alamo Bowl in the sense that it was the first time the game had hosted a matchup of two teams within the top 15. So two high caliber programs at this point, and there's some big names on this UCLA team, obviously coached by Jim Moore, Brett Hundley, at quarterback, Miles Jack, uh, Paul Perkins. Got some big names on that UCLA squad. And the one thing I took away from this game, really above all else, maybe not the, the thing that you want to take away, but yes, K-State put up a valiant effort in, in coming back. But I, I still, in my own mind, cannot get past how ill-prepared that group looked, how overwhelmed they looked in the first half and getting down in this game 31-6. to
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought we were gonna get, you know, they were gonna put up 60 on us. It was ridiculous. Um, but you know, K-State started fighting back, and you start believing they're gonna they're gonna really make this comeback. And then they come up just a little bit short. Um, God, that was frustrating. And the way that K-State would just continue to do that year after year in bowl games where they just come out flat. Um, you know, I know not everyone cares about bowl games so much. If you're not making it to a big time one, but you know, you want you're you're going there for a reason. You're trying to win. That's just I like winning.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it becomes so frustrating.
2: Well, this one's especially. You know, it's it's almost compounded because this gets you that elusive tenth win on the year, and like the ten and three hits the year a lot better than nine and four does. Um, but the the difference here, you know you think about like the Fiesta bowl where we're down eight, nothing literally before we touch the ball, you know, like, I mean, before either offense has even has even been on the field yet, or, you know, we talked about it off air a minute ago, the, the climbing's Liberty bowl where we drop a walk-in touchdown on fourth down, you know, I don't think there was that catastrophically bad start, but it was just, we put ourselves in a hole and just, it, you know, UCLA just kept digging and, you know, we blinked and we were down 25 at half. So, I mean, it, uh, that left you know absolutely no margin for error, and we played a pretty damn good second half to cut it to a, a one touchdown game, and then gave up the gave up the long run to put it away. But uh, yeah, you know that you, you just you, you can't let that happen against a good team. Um, you know you you can't let yourself get down twenty five points in half and expect to have any realistic shot.
0: The one thing I'll mention about this again, you, you can't not commend. The effort and this group, I think, wanted to to go out there and atone for that. And I know um, Snyder's big spiel at halftime. And This was uh, shortly after the Florida State-Oregon game where Oregon and this was the first year of the college football playoff. And I know we didn't really talk about it, but TCU and Baylor had ended up splitting the conference title. Neither one ends up getting in the playoff. But Oregon, Florida State in the playoff, uh, one of the semifinals and Oregon just ends up blowing the doors off of that Jameis Winston-led Florida State team that really just kind of mailed it in after this uh, after the second half, and I know his big pitch was, how do you guys want to be remembered? And to that point, they went out there and they played their asses off in that second half. Now, the thing that really killed them more than anything else, it was the first drive of the third freaking quarter that took damn near eight minutes to get the first touchdown. That, if honestly, if you cut, Two minutes off of that, you probably have a chance to win this game if you get the ball back uh, on that final possession. But that was the killer. Um, K-State gets the touchdown there to draw to within 31 to 14 after getting the two-point conversion. They force a quick fumble by UCLA, get another touchdown on the short field. So now we got a game. You know, we're we're in it now. And again, this is there. There are a couple of controversial plays. I know there was a big uh, questionable P.I. on Cody Cook, a ball that went to him that did not get called uh, that ended up thwarting a drive. Uh, K-State does draw to within 34 to 28 uh, after another lengthy uh, 15-play, 91-yard touchdown drive. Uh, So K-State starting on their nine, getting all the way down to the UCLA end zone. But again, that's one of those things. That drive started with 11 minutes left in the fourth, and it ended with under five. So now, again... We're talking about how many possessions do you have left? Are you realistically going to get the ball back? Uh, But unfortunately, Nutter, you touched on it. Paul Perkins, the UCLA running back who really gashed K-State, went 20 carries for a buck 94 in this game. Um, He pretty much ices this one for the Bruins with a 67-yard touchdown run on a second down and 13 with two minutes and 20 seconds left. K-State gets another late touchdown to make this one look closer and be respectable, but that was the defense really, unfortunately, just let let up too much in the first half. And, and again, just a lot of little things that, that went sideways in this one for K-State. And like I said, you take a couple minutes off of a touchdown drive here and there, Maybe you have a chance to pull this one out, but uh, it was a very entertaining game. K State really, again, a lot of statistical oddities 27 first downs for the Cats to UCLA 16, but the Wildcats were out gained uh, 467 to 369. Uh, but we saw a lot of great highlight real plays and not just in this game but all season long from uh, the seniors uh, Tyler Locke at Curry Sexton and Jake Waters and I think that this is a good point to kind of pivot as we start talking about uh, where these guys fall in K-State history and, and I I I have to start with Tyler um an, an unbelievable year for him where He is known. He is the known commodity. You know, he is getting the ball thrown his way at least 10 times, 10 to 15 times, game in and game out. And he produces the one of the best seasons in school history, goes for fifteen hundred fifteen yards, eleven touchdowns, has one hundred and six grabs. Where does he rank for you guys all time? I asked that because I do feel like you could make a compelling argument for a couple other receivers. I wanted to see what your guys thoughts were.
1: I absolutely think that he is right there with Jordy Nelson. He should be up in the uh, ring of honor. If you're talking about which one is the better overall player, I think it's Tyler Lockett. No question because he adds the special teams element. Not that Jordy Nelson didn't also have his special teams moments. Um, you know, when I'm comparing the two receivers, I always think would I w- rather have this big body guy who can drag defenders, super reliable hands, or this incredibly great route runner who's going to be open by 10 yards more often than not. And I would tend to go with Tyler Lockett just because I think he makes it a little easier on the quarterback being so wide open all the time. I say Tyler Lockett's the best
3: K-State receiver with Jordy being a close second and I think uh, you know part obviously they are different types of receivers and both were I mean very very good but I say uh, uh, Tyler probably had the better overall career at K-State with you know pretty pretty much being a player you know contributing player all four years where Jordy kind of had a rough start to his career. Obviously, he was a walk-on, but you know, uh, didn't really explode until with the uh, stats-wise until his senior year. So, I I give uh, Tyler the nod.
2: I I also think that you know Tyler, when you're talking about K-State receivers, Tyler's going to be the face of that conversation. Um, the one the one thing that I don't think that has come up that I will mention is you know it took him till late in his senior year to break. You know all of his dad's records, um, and his dad set those records in a in a much different college football landscape. When you know when when the game as a whole was much more run heavy. So I do think you have to take that into consideration. But all that said, I do think you know Tyler Tyler is still the best receiver K State's ever seen.
0: And that are you 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 bring up a great point there and that's honestly why I almost am more inclined to give the nod to Kevin because now at least at this point in 20, in the 2014 season, how we've seen offenses so drastically change where we're we're in the nineties where everybody's running out of the eye. There are, you know, you're very rarely seeing, you know, multiple looks, a trip wide receiver formation would, you know, freak out any defensive coordinator in 1994, and, and to Snyder's credit, I think that's why he is one of the great offensive minds in in college football, and, and that's why I almost that's why I I I have to think that Kevin's season is uh, Kevin's career is better because he's doing this in in an era where passing isn't nearly as refined. He's he's had different quarterbacks and Chad May and Matt Miller and Brian Kavanaugh. He's been the consistent amongst all those three and he's still produced every single year. And the other thing that you have to consider too, is that defensive coverages you're, you're seeing a lot of bump and run and guys being physical with you on the boundary and things are much different now in the big 12 in particular, where a lot of defenses are going to run those much more, hands off. We're running zone coverage. We're not going to bump and run with you. We're going to give you the option to run and try and find holes in defense because a lot of teams don't really have the personnel to try and jam guys at the line. So that's why I think while Tyler's season was exceptional, again, I I think Kevin Lockett probably had the more impressive feat, Uh, but again, not to discredit Tyler at all. Big 12 special teams player of the year, first team all big 12, no surprise there. And that was a unanimous decision as well, uh, as far as the voting goes. Um, And I'll ask about i have to ask about curry too and to give a shout out to an abilene kansas native uh, i i probably don't appreciate his contributions as much as i should uh just knowing like he had he had a thousand yard season and a lot of people probably don't even really remember that because everybody remembers jake to tyler jake to tyler i the the other thing that's weird too statistically this is the second best receiving season of any uh, Snyder to a wide receiver. And for that to occur simultaneously with Tyler is kind of remarkable. Uh, I don't know. I just want to ask you guys, what what are your thoughts on Curry, where he falls? Uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to place him in any kind of ranking just because he, he really didn't contribute as much in the passing game, the first several years of his career, and then he just explodes in this his senior season. What do you, what are your guys' thoughts and feelings about how should Curry Sexton be appreciated in K-State lore?
2: I think, I think Sexton benefited from the circumstances surrounding him his senior year, for sure. Um, you know, he was kind of buried on the receiver depth chart, you know, really leading up to his senior season. And by the time he was ready to kind of take over that role. He had a a quarterback that could really sling it. You know, Um, Colin was an efficient passer, but he was never going to light up the stat sheet. And uh, even so, you know, he had, Tyler was in a lot more elite company overall, just in terms of the the overall uh, receiving core. Um, But I think you could, it's kind of akin to uh, Jordy's senior year, you know, benefiting from the quarterback he had and the offense that they ran that year. I mean, it was a you have to consider it a little bit circumstantial. That said, you know, he was still sure-handed and reliable and made those catches. That's not to take away from what he did, but I do think he really benefited from from the situation that he was in that year.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he had the tools to be in that position and take advantage of it, but you know, defenses are focusing on Tyler our run game sucks. We have a guy that can throw the ball pretty well. So it was just, you know, a perfect storm to get a guy like that. Some, some pretty monster numbers that season, but you know, he's got to go out there and, uh, run the routes and get open and catch the ball. So, I mean, you can't just, you can't just wash it all away from circumstance. I think, you know, he was a, he was a very good receiver to, to your point. Jeff also with, the. I just wanted um, a bit of a counter-argument for Kevin Lockett as you were describing the offenses of the day back in the 90s, and I would say that, you know, it would be probably in his favor that defenses probably were not as uh, geared to stop the passing game back in the 90s as well. So just a little
1: counter-argument there. Well, defenses didn't have to be as geared to stop the passing attack because they could just knock the receivers the whole time they were running down the field. (laughs) Jeff, I love that you brought up Kevin Lockett. I'm such a huge Kevin Lockett fan. He is still number three on my rankings, but uh, man, does he need to continue get to get his respect throughout the ages. You know, he never broke a thousand yards in a season, but he wasn't, you know, going on fly routes every other play like Tyler was. Um, Some of the most incredible hands I have ever seen. He. Growing up in Manhattan, he was just, like, bigger than football, it seemed. Like, K-State hadn't had that many great teams up at that point. And he was just this superstar that you would see kids just wearing his jersey, not just a football game, just constantly. Like, his picture was everywhere. Everyone loved the guy. But back to Curry Sexton. Um, very good football player. Definitely um, was helped out by the offense he was in and having Ty Lockett. But I think that his athletic ability is sometimes discounted. He probably didn't run an amazing 40, um, but I, I think he was very agile. He ran very crisp routes. He had very good hands. Um, you know, is Ty Lockett getting the stats that he has if Curry Sexton isn't doing his thing over on the other side? I mean, they definitely had to account for both players. Um Yeah. I mean, I I don't think he's really as underrated as some people like to say. I think he, um, you know, everyone knows he puts up, he put up stats. He was a big help to this uh, season. Good player. Um, Not someone who could probably put up a thousand yards if he was asked to be the number one receiver, though.
0: Uh, a valid point that you bring up, but still, uh, really, again, for what we've known K-State to be, or and what we will ultimately know K-State to be in the 2-0 era, when you take a look back at it and you you recognize and realize that K-State had two of the top four receivers in terms of yards in the Big 12 that season, that's that's crazy, that's remarkable to th- to think about that, and, and again, I think curry and tyler were were great compliments to one another you had one who could take the top off uh, and tyler and could stretch defenses in so many ways again an exceptional route runner pass catcher uh, blocker tyler did everything and then you have a very sure-handed curry sexton and a guy who could always find open spots and zones Um, again i just i i wanted to ask what you guys thought about his contributions because i i Over time, I've I've grown to appreciate him a lot more than I than I certainly did when his terrific senior season is unfolding and and one more uh, and he ends up getting second team all big 12 that season and like I said he was in very good company that year the big 12 was very top heavy with Tyler Corey Coleman Kevin White West Virginia uh, Sterling Shepard Katie Cannon at Baylor like there were just a lot of big names at wide receiver so Curry Sexton can definitely gets lost in the shuffle there but still earned second team honors now one guy who did have another remarkable senior season and not just a senior season, but really his two years at K-State were, were terrific and his contributions. It would have been very interested to see what would have happened had he been committed to from, uh, at QB from day one, but we, we do have to talk about Jake Waters and I know I've been, I've been pro Sam's, uh, and I will always be pro Sam's, but, um, to, to discount anything that Jake did to have this team in position to win a Big 12 title in the last game of the regular season, I I don't know what you could have possibly, what more you could have possibly asked for him and from him. And realistically, if you think about it, if K-State doesn't even have to play Auburn, if they, they wiggle out of that game and they bring in some non-con rummy, they end up going 10-2 and and they probably get a spot in the New, new Year's Six Bowl game. So It sucks that they came up short in that Auburn game. Uh, The environment and everything was crazy, as we talked about. But uh, I think Jake Waters, I'd be interested to know where you guys feel he ranks just uh, as far as K-State quarterbacks go, not just within Snyder 2-0, but also just taking into account all of the Bill Snyder era. Uh,
1: In between Chad May and Josh Freeman
0: is where I rank
1: him. You know, right right there with the passing quarterbacks of the uh of the time here at K State. Um, you know, I, I usually go for the running quarterbacks, um, uh, except in this situation. So I, I definitely have Bishop and Klein and Beasley and Roberson up at top, but he's he's in that next level. Um, you know, he, he was an underrated runner, I think, but one of his problems was that he he didn't really know how to take a tackle as well as some, some guys just kind of know how to Uh, Get down, and uh, that was one of his downfalls. Where he ended up hurting his shoulder in that Oklahoma game, and he maybe wasn't quite the same the rest of the year.
2: It, uh, if you remember, he was kind of a, and I know I, I assume you guys talked about it last week, but you know he was kind of a a late late addition to the recruiting class that year. And it's definitely my belief that you know Bill knew what he had coming back on offense. And he needed to get someone that could air it out. And um, I think Jake delivered on that, absolutely. You know, obviously he had two really good weapons, as, you, as we've been talking about for the last several minutes, in in uh, Lockett and Sexton. But uh, I don't necessarily know where I would rank him. I think, Clint, you make a good point that, like, when you rank K-State quarterbacks, you almost have to segment them out into run first and pass first, because they just played such different games. So I don't know where I would rank him. But, I mean, I definitely you know, super fond memories of what he did while he was here. And I definitely think he he filled the role he was brought in to fill, you know, admir- admir- admirably at least.
3: Yeah, it's hard for me to say because growing up a case, you know, kind of when I started paying attention, we pretty much only had running quarterbacks. And then you get, you know, Josh Freeman, who's obviously a thrower. Um uh, <clears throat> so just, you know, I think He's probably the second best, just pure passer I've seen uh, play quarterback for K State. But I didn't see the early Snyder uh, quarterbacks throwing the ball, uh, obviously. But yeah, it's 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 kind of hard. It's tough to to rank K State quarterbacks in an overall sense uh, without trying to having to separate them out as a, a running quarterback and a throwing quarterback. But I think just as a passer, he's probably pretty high up there on the list. Overall quarterback, he's probably in that second tier of k state quarterbacks uh, that I've seen. But I was always a big fan of his.
0: So he has just under six thousand career passing yards, forty touchdowns to sixteen interceptions hits just over sixty four percent of his throws. and 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 I know we we talk about it, kind of unsung as a runner. Um, has just under 800 yards and 15 touchdowns on the ground. So, again, that none of that's lost on uh, on anybody in this group. And like I said, I I was pro. I I remain pro in the pro Sam's camp purely for looking at the longevity side of it. But Jake Waters does have a a, a wonderful career and one we should all be very grateful and appreciative of. Um, again, getting this team into Big Twelve title contention. Um, is not lost on me uh and, and i think we we just he deserves to be thought of as one of the best quarterbacks in school history and certainly when you talk about guys in the two o era there's not really much debate really uh you're talking colin and then it's probably jake right after him i think jesse ertz would be in the discussion had he been healthy um, but he certainly Jake certainly eclipses the likes of Alex Delton, uh, of Carson Kaufman, Grant Gregory, uh, and 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 early early aughts Skyler. Uh, and truthfully, I think the numbers that he'll put that Jake put up in these two seasons, uh, are and what he accomplished in these two seasons, will probably eclipse what Skyler, unless Skyler puts together a Big 12 came, uh, title campaign this year. Uh, I think we'll probably look back and think of Jake in a little bit higher regard than we do Skyler. I'll probably get some heat for that, uh, but (laughs) neither here nor there. Jake Waters uh, is first team all Big 12, actually. And he and Bryce Petty actually share the honor. Uh, uh, Excuse me. I'm I'm sorry. First team, second team, all Big 12. They share the honor. Uh, Trevon Boykin was first team all Big 12 at quarterback. He was also the offensive player of the year. And just a couple other guys to kind of round things out here. A couple other first-team selections. Glenn Gronkowski, we've talked about. Uh, Baby Gronk's contributions in the passing game, big touchdown in that game in Norman. Uh, he's first-team All-Big 12 at fullback. And then also uh, who a guy who ends up being co-offensive lineman of the year, uh, B.J. Finney. And I, I think we do need to, to mention him as well. He, he's certainly one of the more decorated offensive linemen, and you're always happy to see a guy from, from Kansas really ascend and, and compete and play at the level at which he played. I, I'd be curious to know, is there any other center in the 2-0 era? Like, uh, really what we're talking about, because K-State really has two four-year guys at center in the Bill Snyder 2-0 era. You have B.J. Finney, and then you have Dalton Reisner. Uh, you, that's Pretty damn good company, and, and it speaks obviously volumes as well as to what Charlie Dickey did as far as development of offensive linemen goes. Um, just very impressive uh, career here. I, I wish I, I knew and could say more superlatives about offensive linemen, but I really can't. Uh, other than I know that guy started seemingly 198 games for us. He he was he was exceptional. Just mm-hmm. a, a great great character guy, great leader. Great guy in the locker room.
1: Yeah, B.J. Finney, if you look at him, he definitely looks like a center. He looks like uh, Billy Bob out there. (laughs) He's got the big old belly. He's not the athletic tackle-looking offensive lineman. Um, So one thing I always remember about him is during that uh, UCLA bowl game, he had to kick out to right tackle, and he did a really good job. He was definitely an athletic guy. Um, Yeah, definitely one of the best K-State linemen of all time.
2: And he's uh, he's turned that into a hell of a pro career for a guy that did not get his name called on draft day. Mm-hmm.
0: Again, very great to see. Uh, and just a, another offensive lineman who's actually on the second team, um, excuse me, Cody Whitehair. Um, kind of surprised to see him fall uh, down to that second team selection. Again, one of the the better offensive line products of the Snyder 2 era. Um, we talked about Curry Sexton, Jake Waters on the second team on offense. Uh, defensively, uh, K-State had a couple of selections. Ryan Mueller, despite not really putting up the numbers this year, uh, I, I think again this kind of speaks to Ryan Mueller's motor uh, more than anything else. He um, he only ends up racking up uh, nine sack or excuse me nine tackles for loss and five sacks, so we don't really see him have that that big encore to his 2013 breakout season but he still earns first team honors and again i think that's coaches recognizing the motor and how in the hustle that he had um using dumb terms like that but that's that's the truth you know i I think he's he he was certainly not the most gifted guy physically uh, but the motor never stopped and and to that point he ends up earning uh, first team honors on the defensive side of things And Randall Evans, first team, All Big 12 at nickel. And then uh, for the second team, Jonathan Truman, Dante Barnett, and Danzel McDaniel. Uh, So that rounds out all the All Big 12 selections. And uh, I... I think it's a good point here to, to book in this episode. So with that being said, if you stuck with us this long, again, we appreciate the listen. Go give us a follow on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And again, you'll find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. So if you have any thoughts on any anything that we've said throughout the course of this episode, I know we're, we offer a lot of contentious takes on here. So we'll, we'll take any, any feedback that you guys have for us. So guys, appreciate it. Been a fun show here. Uh, looking forward to jumping into 2015. Uh, a lot of a lot of drama in, in, in that season and a lot of very high highs and very low lows uh, with that, that group and very much looking forward to talking about that and and and. What that also means is that we're just getting one week closer to uh, the start of the 2021 campaign. So a lot of things to look forward to. Like I said, guys, give us a follow on Twitter and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, five star. We're blue chips here, so give us the rating we deserve. And with all that said, Cats, man, if you know, you know.